You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. Foster Care Nation, listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. And today we have Sandy Quessel with us. Uh, Sandy is a very interesting individual. She has a whole lot of like degrees, like a thermometer and lived experiences and all kinds of great things. And that's why we're coming to talk to Sandy today because she has stories and knowledge for us. How are you doing today, Sandy? I'm doing just fine. And I'm so glad to have this opportunity with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, we're really grateful for your time. And, you know, all those degrees are amazing, right? Like, it takes a lot to get, you know, uh, you've got, what, special education and uh, and, and family, marriage, and and, uh, child therapy. Special ed, um, elementary ed, and marriage and family. There we go. Yeah, a lot that takes a lot of time. And I respect somebody who's willing to put in the time and energy to get that. But that lived experience that, that, that I saw you mention earlier, um, 30 years as a foster parent? Is that what you said? Close to 30, yes. Oh, my wow. God. Like, like three will wear you down sometimes. <laughs> well, the children who used to come in my home were children for, for whom no other placements were available any longer because of the complexity and severity of their behaviors. And so a couple of the kids um, I would visit in locked units in residential uh, placement centers. So um, the, they were pretty high risk kids. But so you're not talking. Like, I felt like they deserved and needed a chance. So you're not talking about like baby girl over here that you can see on the screen that nobody else can, who's yeah. four months old and sweet and cute, and she gets angry and screams occasionally because she's hungry. I need to change a diaper. We're talking about kids with a wee bit more complicated backgrounds. Yeah, I had a child come to me at the age of five who had been in 10 placements in two years before he came to my home. Oh, wow. Now that's that's a lot of trauma. Is, <laughs> that's that, a lot that's of, bad. you know, every yeah. time a child moves, you know, yeah. that's another trauma. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I just have to ask, what drew you to these complex cases, these situations where kids really need more than just a little bit. So I grew up in a home with an older brother and my brother was two years older than I was. And from the time when he was very young, uh, he had challenges. He had behaviors that could not be controlled. I lived in the home. I could, I mean, I grew up in the same home. What would he have been diagnosed with today? He'd probably have been had he probably would have had 10 labels posted, pasted on him at some point. Um, I'm sure there were some organic things going on, but this was a lot of years ago and the world wasn't really into understanding um, all the levels of, of 
what contributes to human behavior. So, um, and then one day our phone rang and I picked it up and the person at the other end of the phone was upset, out of control, never bothered to find out who they were talking to. And they proceeded to tell me that um, my brother had committed suicide. They used his name, but that he had committed suicide. And I was absolutely shocked, numb, traumatized. And um, I became physically ill because it was just so uh, horrific and ended up having to repeat my senior year in high school, although I had already been accepted on early admission my junior year because my grades were so high uh, to a college. But that was okay, um, not at the time, but in hindsight, because I rebuilt my life. I went back and finished high school. I decided to go to another uh, school in another state, Boston University, for my undergrad work, and uh, began to rebuild my life one step at a time. Wow. So it sounds like you you come from your own traumas. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Now, I'm curious, you know, if you had to just throw a guess, what what are the labels do you think that your brother may have had put on him at that age? You know, knowing what you know now, obviously there's no diagnostics going on right here, but what what sorts of things were you guys dealing with? Um, There was a lot of aggressive behavior. There was no inner control of any kind of um, urges or strong feelings. They just got blasted out. And um, those gradually materialized into all kinds of uh, behavior, which was not working on his behalf to, um, to be able to cope in the world. And nobody really knew how to control it or to help him to control it. And actually, his trauma turned out to be a gift to the world because somewhere along the way, I made um, a commitment that I was going to find answers for families that my family couldn't find. And that's exactly uh, what I've done. And I have been able to work with the most, I've, I've worked even in prison settings. I've been able to work with the most complex behaviors, the most threatening behaviors, by using a system that redefines the meaning of those behaviors. And therefore, what we're going to want to do to to have an impact on those behaviors changing the uh, individual who's presenting them. And so gradually, one step at a time, I uh, created the Pillars for Success. The first name of it was SOS for Parents, but it wasn't considered the SOS modern scream when you need help. It was a system of success for parents, although some parents referred to it as a system of survival. But the... uh, but the name um, engendered too many, uh, too many other meanings that I didn't want to be including. So uh, we call it the Pillars for Success. And there are you know, nine main ideas um, that uh, parents learn about. It's all put through strainers. There's no clinical language used. I've never, I've never worked with a frustrated, um, upset parent who's feeling bad about themselves, bad about their kid. Um, who wants to uh, be having vocabulary such as what you and I would hear in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Um, you know, so everything is in plain English. And I think it's very, not in the beginning, but over the years uh, that I've been training, I have learned what families need and asked them for their feedback and honored it. 
considered it and honored it and made changes uh, because the purpose of the training was to help them. Yeah, that sounds really useful because, you know, when we first started into this, um, our, our deep clinical training was um, – <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, it was not much, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, we, we didn't have much as far as, like, training from, from the get-go other than just what Children's Division provided in their training before you become foster parents. And they give you, like – I mean, it's – they're trying to hand you, like, this – idea that, hey, here's some things you might see. There's there's hard things here. And if you have a good class, they'll they'll tell you a lot of that stuff and, and warn you about some of it. You know, you'll be warned about things like you'll find kids hoarding food sometimes. And it won't make sense because there's plenty of food. Obviously the pantry's full, there's food in the refrigerator. Why does this kid have like food rotting under the bed? And and we you know it was it was good to help us understand that that's a thing. There's a reason why we see some of that behavior. However, comma, (laughs) there's a lot of behaviors that, I mean, they they quite frankly just can't go through the DSM and explain what, you know, ADD, ADHD, ODD, RAD, like all the lists and and acronyms. I mean, we can can go on for days with acronyms with this stuff. And until you start to understand what what some of that looks like and what you're going to think it is when you first see it. It's not terribly helpful, and that's that was been some of what we've had to deal with because we've had kids who showed up who's like, "What do I do with this? <laughs> this craziness right over here? I don't know how to handle that," and, and we had to learn the hard way. And so I love that you have a program designed around some plain English for parents because if somebody tells you you need to help that that child is obviously in an amygdala hijack and you need to re-regulate their emotions, like we no, can you say can't, that English. you can't re-regulate you can't control another person's behavior, you can't control their emotions, but you can set up the situation so that they learn and are empowered to control their own emotions. Yeah, because either is just not legal way. to use, right? But, <laughs> but these are some of the, um, but I love it when you say things like that, because these are some of the things I begin to point out to parents. It's an entirely new perspective on behavior, on the meaning of behavior, and therefore what to do about the behavior. Yeah, it's, it's really challenging when you first start this 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 whole journey because yes. you know I'm certain to some degree we had this thought process in our hearts when we first started, and it's the same one so many parents have, and it's more or less well if you just show them love, yeah, they'll understand. And I love that you laugh about that because <laughs> love is not enough. No, no. It's, no. It's more, I mean, you need love. You need love, and you need to love yourself, and you need to love your children. Love does not fix everything. As a matter of fact, it doesn't fix almost anything. It can create a good environment, but it doesn't. Love is not much of a fixer. No. So I think that I have worked in just about every setting in, in, on planet Earth with children and families. I've worked in hospital settings. I've worked in residential treatment settings. I've worked, worked in law, uh, intentionally gotten jobs in as many settings, always searching for what is it that's missing here. I've worked in um, uh, prison settings, um, you name it. And I think I've done it. I've directed day treatment centers myself, I, you know, just a lot of different things always searching, always asking myself, always learning from where I was, but also asking myself the question, what is, what is missing here? 
is there anything missing and what how could we how could we reorganize the thoughts of the people who want to help these children in a way that would actually reflect what's going on with the kids so in so many of these settings it's about controlling the kids behavior it's about making sure everyone's safe, of course, but the safety is around behavior control. I don't know how many kids of yours are on um, medications. Uh, I think one of my kids, gosh, how many? I think he had about eight medications. It was outrageous. I mean, he was all but totally stoned. He was still ambulatory, but you know that was the way uh, the world had worked with him and helped him uh, control his behavior was to numb him up. So always, 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 and all during all of these years, I asked myself, what are we missing? What is going on? How could we, how could we begin to move forward with a new understanding and vision that would allow us to celebrate with the children in our lives rather than constantly be frustrated? with the children in our lives. And sometimes, I don't know if it's happened in your setting, but uh, sometimes these kids can be can threaten your physical safety. I mean, um, it's no joke. As a matter of fact, uh, we don't have foster children in our home right now, but uh, when we did, and it was close to 30 years, I mean, there was no such thing as, you know, the knife drawer in the kitchen. I mean, every drawer had a lock on it and the, and the knives were kept locked in the garage in a hidden location uh, because any one of these kids uh, were capable of anything at any given time, not because they were horrible people or murderers, but because they were desperate. So what I came up with and my goal through my, through my secondary education, through my college education, through my research afterward, I was truly impressed with the systems that had been created. I was committed to learning what the lingo was, learning what the vocabulary was. And when I actually began to work out in the field, and actually after my brother died, the first thing I did that summer before I got sick was I volunteered at, I don't know if it's renamed now, but Chicago State Mental Hospital and uh, just worked with people there to begin. I had never had contact in a setting like that, but to begin to try to understand. Ultimately, what I concluded was, and, and this is important, in all the work that I have done and all the families I have worked with in all the settings where I have been um, overseeing um, staff trainings and things like that, I have discovered there are only three major reasons, not 103, three major reasons for that challenging and defined behavior. They are basic human needs. The first one, and I call them the ABCs of challenging and defined behavior. The first one is attention. There is nothing a human being will not do to be recognized. And believe me, if I can't get your attention positively, I sure know how to get it in ways that you can't avoid paying attention to me. The other is basic survival, the sense of safety, food to eat, feeling um, cared for, all of the basic survival needs, a place to sleep. And the third one is control and power. And again, there is nothing a human being will not do. I don't, and we're talking, you know, talk about how we label two-year-olds, the terrible twos. That's, 
control and power, even at that level. There's nothing a human being will not do to have a sense of control and power over his or her world. So now the question is not how to, well, the P word isn't even in my vocabulary, but for so many people it is, how to punish those children. The key word is how do you begin to understand what those behaviors are about, which one of those three or all of them woven together or more than one in a given situation and more of the other in another situation. And what kind of skills can I help this child experience my skills and his or her own skills to get those needs satisfied? When, when a child, when a human being experiences those three basic needs in a way that helps them feel safe and secure in the world and like they can understand where what they're where they fit into it it's just amazing how behaviors can do a 180 i can't even right now i'm working with a parent who i um, get referrals through agencies i'm working with a parent who maybe 6 7 months ago i met for the first time with her and her 8 year old son and right in front of the son she burst into tears and she told me that she could not care for him any longer that he was driving her nuts she didn't intend to do she just fell apart as she was telling her story that that relationship is reversed 180 degrees now they have they are completely reunited emotionally she knows her role he knows her role and they both know his role and it's just amazing and whenever it, whenever she continues to have challenges we go back to the rules and tools in our discussions the rules and tools of the pillars for success which is what empowers uh adults to help children uh get these needs met in and analyze the situation so they understand and get the needs met in ways that are acceptable for everyone you know so. you mentioned that that punish word and you know we <laughs> As parents, we we have come a long way from the the 1950s, which is where my parents grew up, and the model my parents used to to raise us, and probably very close to the model that I originally started with when we first started having kids twenty something years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> you know, I look back and go, "Wow, it's amazing we have not raised like like several generations of psychopaths." <laughs> <laughs> and to some degree, we probably have created some of that. And, and you know, it was they, they stopped really. The word punishment really kind of fell out of popularity. And for a long time, it was discipline. And discipline is one of those interesting words that that you know. I, I'll take you back a little bit biblical on it because it comes back. It comes out of the word dis, or disciple, right? Mm-hmm. And. And last I checked, if you want to go ahead and read that book, for, you know, that story from a couple thousand years ago, I don't remember reading any, any stories in, in the, the early Christian stories about like spanking being what discipline meant. Although that's what we use it to mean today, oftentimes. Um, but it doesn't mean that at all. And, and so what would you say, like the idea of punishment, discipline? Um, how, how do you see that? Because obviously there's times when a correction needs to be made. You know, I'll share this quick story because yesterday we had we had a wonderful, you know, the things you hear as a parent sometimes that just make you go, huh, 
what did I just hear? And one of my boys, I have two boys who are six and eight, and they are full boy, right? So they were in the middle of a karate fight, whatever. They're just horsing around. It wasn't, it wasn't viciousness, but they were just horsing around. And one of them stands up and kind of shakes his hand and goes, wow, his head hurts my hand. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, let's talk. And so somewhere in that line, we're going to have to correct a little bit of that and be like, all right, hey, hang on, guys. We're getting a little wild here. Like the flying bicycle kick, it looks really cool on the video game. In real life, that's dangerous. Let's let's tone this down a bit, right? But but there has to be some correction in life, and most of the time it's not the playful stuff where we really need correction. But sometimes, sometimes it is. So yeah. so when you think about that, we we all need to correct a behavior somewhere. How do you how do you look at that? You know, with that idea starting from punishment to wherever you know we're at today in, in popular you know verbiage that we're allowed to politically correct say. But but how would you look at that? My verbiage wouldn't so much, my verbiage would not begin with how am I going to respond to it? Does this, does this child need to be punished or corrected or whatever? My mind immediately goes to a place that says, what is going on with this child? What is this behavior indicating that is out of balance for this child? Is it the attention? Is it the basic survival kinds of needs? Is it the control and power? And I have, and very often it is the third one. It's usually most often the third one because everybody wants to have a sense of power and control over their lives, even, even a toddler. So I go back not to assigning the reasons, but asking the question. And then, because I can't read the kid's mind and then I will do what I can and teach parents to begin to see how they can work with their children in ways that help them feel empowered, that get these basic needs met. So for instance, if a kid were, and that does not mean, so we're going to, there are many aspects to this training, many new concepts that I teach. And one of them is the concept of emotionally charged words. There are certain words that we use that trigger negative responses in children because they have heard them so frequently and they are related to negative interactions. And one of them I call, I don't even say, when I teach it to families, I tell them, I'm going to say it to you once, but after that, we're just going to refer to it. You know how, how the word F-U-C-K, we talk about it as the F-bomb? So in this case, um, it's it's the C bomb, and the word is consequences. When when a when an adult uses the word consequences with a child, it immediately and easily triggers rebellious, more rebellious behavior, more you can't tell me what to do behavior. So we don't have consequences, and there's a there's a number. As I said, the training is very um, very highly tailored to what many people don't recognize in interactions with their children in terms of the dynamics. And we and and believe it or not, it's never just about a child's behavior. I teach parents many different concepts, but one of them is that it's always, always about an action, somebody's action, yours, another kid, 
the kid who's having the issue, an action, a reaction, and an interaction. So when a parent goes into a situation and sees, you know, blah, blah, and blah behavior, it's right away what this kid is doing wrong. The way the parent uh, responds to the child has a huge um, impact on where the conversation and where the next steps go with the kid. So everything that occurs, I teach a lot of universal principles like that. Every, not a lot, but enough for people to understand and be able to impact and change their interactions with their children. So the first thing uh, that I explain to them in a situation like that is, and we learn it in the training, is this concept of action, reaction, and interaction. What happens between two people is never just about the behavior of one. So your kid can present some kind of a challenge, how you respond to it and what you do about it both. And then we talk about verbal and nonverbal messages. 90% of communication is nonverbal, nonverbal. So no matter what you think you're saying to your kid, you are communicating in so many different ways with your body language, with your facial expression, all of it. So I'm teaching them principles. And after each one of the classes, I'm encouraging them to go home and pay attention to what's going on between them and their kid. And I tell them, if you see some of these things, don't feel like, oh, I can't let anyone know I've been messing up like this. It's, it's absolutely a victory on your part that you are able to recognize it now, because if you don't recognize it, you can't do anything to change it. And so we take the subtleties of all the interactions and emotions between the parent and the child, and we talk about how to detect what's going on, and then how to respond to it in a, in a way that says, I'm going to help you get those needs met. Now, does that mean that there's no, remember, we're not going to use the C word anymore. Does that mean that, so in my world, we use the word outcomes. And the parents who work in the Pillars for Success learn the word outcomes. Totally neutral word. Nobody's got any negative experiences attached to it. But if you don't like the word outcomes, pick your own neutral word. But for most of us, the word outcomes is is effective. So, um, and then we talk about ways to empower the child with how to handle the outcomes that are about that are about to occur after the choice in the behavior. So it's a it's a completely different way of of understanding of um, accountability for behaviors, um, and the purpose is not to get down at the kid's level and be arguing and frustrated and angry with them. The purpose is to step back and take a look at the process. Everything that happens between two people, the significance of what happens is on the process level. All communication I teach families exists on two levels, the process level and the content level. If you get stuck in dealing with the content level, the kid's swearing at you, he just threw something across the room. I'm not saying those behaviors are acceptable. I'm not saying they don't have outcomes, but I'm saying you want to respond back, not only about the content that 
it is not okay to throw things when you're angry. Let's go get a pillow. You want to punch a pillow for a while. I get that. And and come back and talk about uh, the process of what's going on. You know, one thing I noticed you didn't mention in there at all was um, guilt, shame, blame, pointing fingers. And that's something that's so natural. And why would you do that, right? It's that everything that comes out of that feeling. And it's never helpful. I'm, I don't like to use com- like, like words like that to say it's never, ever, ever, ever. But I think pretty much never helpful is, is probably. I think never helpful is probably pretty accurate, actually. It's not helpful. It might be a Band-Aid to stop the kid at that split second. But in terms of achieving a, a greater strength in your relationship, in the actions and interactions between the two of you, it is not helpful. No, no. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that it took me a while to realize just just how much control I had in the shape of a conversation by not aiming at, at, at giving things like like you are this, you like all the the the, the body language that you talk about. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here in my office chair, and it has this nifty little button on the side, and I pull it up, and I fall down to the ground, right? It'll let me squish all the way down to the ground, and when my six- or eight-year-old son comes in here, and we need to have a serious conversation about something, I figured out that when I let the air out of this this little seat, and I get lower, and they, they can either look me dead in the eye or maybe even look down at me a little bit, it changes the dynamics. When I change my voice, and I slow my speed, and I change my tone of voice and soften everything... It changes our interaction. When I consciously pay attention to that little furrow in my eyebrow that shows up when I get angry, my son taught me once when, when we were having one of those conversations and he said something and then he breaks into tears and he says, what's wrong? He's like, you're mad at me. And I said, I'm not mad at you, bud. You're mad at me. I said, I'm not mad at you. What's, what's going on? Why, why do you think I'm mad at you? And he screws up his face. He says, because when you get mad, your face goes like this. And he points to the furrow between my eyebrows. He said, and and your face is like that, so you're mad at me. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 buddy. I, I'm one of those strange people. I have like two faces. And this is my thinking face. It's my angry face. It's my hungry face. It's, it's like the face I have when I'm, when I'm not just relaxed. It's, that's, yeah. that's one of my two faces. And I didn't realize that, that you were seeing that and you thought it meant that I was angry. And I've had to work so hard on that furrow between my eyebrows when I want to have a calm conversation. Because the, also... The, empower the child and say, I am so glad you shared that with me. Next time that happens, would you just, would you just say, dad, hold on a sec and let me know uh, that it's happening again right now, that because my eyebrows are curved on my forehead, you feel like I'm angry. Say, dad, it just happened again. Let me know. And then, so whenever you can empower a child to be part of the solution, You're taking that need for power and control that maybe has been expressed in such a negative, uncooperative, sometimes aggressive way and empowering him in positive ways. Yeah, yeah. But but it's like you were mentioning, it's amazing how important that body language is. Yes, it's huge. Well, it's huge. It's most of communication. We just don't realize it. Yeah. (laughs) But the researchers do. Look it up and see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's so. I've told a couple of people. It's I had a book recommended to me by 
Josh Navarro he, about. I think it's just called the power of body language. He taught body language for the um, <clears throat> for the FBI at Quantico. He was the instructor for the course, so this guy knows a thing or two. He's teaching FBI yes. agents about this stuff, and I'm like, yeah. Like after I read it, I realized as a newborn, long before you had words, you learned to hold your hands out and cry when you wanted somebody to pick you up. That was the beginning to learning body language. And our first couple years of life really are entirely based around how you communicate with the world through body language. Then we lose words and we forget that we know body language and we keep using it and we don't pay any attention to it. Imagine how much we are communicating to that little baby through our body language. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And And mostly when I work with families – it might take a little while for some of this to sink in, but I will have exercises that they can go home and practice and things like that. And they'll come back and they'll, and each week when they come back, I say, well, how did it go? And I said, we'll celebrate your victories, but if you want to know the truth, we'll learn more from your challenges because it's figuring out the solutions when those challenges, not your failures, not your frustrations, everything I say has a hopeful side to it. So the challenges, those are challenges. And we will, uh, and we will brainstorm together to uh, find a solution, go home and, and then you can decide, do you want to go home and try that one? Or should we keep brainstorming? Yeah, because that's, that's what the process of growth is all about. Yeah, it's, it's, um, there's a practice around all that, I believe it's called um, NLP, neurolinguistic programming that's got a whole lot to do with learning how to to choose the words that that say what you want to be said and not say something else unintentionally. And just as importantly, it's to make your your encounter with your children be an interaction, an interwoven interaction, not you acting on them or at them, but an interaction. And um what was it? Oh, there was something else came to mind. It'll come back to me. I know that feeling. Yeah, so <laughs> many. Sure. I'm trying to. I'm trying not to give you a lecture, and so it's hard to kind of. Hey, I've been lectured before. I needed a <laughs> when I was younger. Yeah, but I don't want you to take a nap while we're together. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll do my best. I'll do my best not to worry about that. So yeah, that, that's one of the interesting things about all of this is that we're we're so much dealing in such deep waters sometimes as foster parents because you know, and I know you mentioned you dealt with a lot of kids with diagnoses and labels, and you know, again, yeah. ADD, ADHD, ODD, RAD, like these these are our things that when I was a kid, when I was a kid, back when I was, I, f- I always feel old when I say that, but but in my generation. The parents were just kind of the the folks who were really influenced by like Dr. Spock and some different ideas were coming around. My parents were not influenced by that. My parents were influenced by the generation that said, boy, I brought you into this world. I can take you out of this world and make another one looks just like you and no one will know the difference. <laughs> and I'm pretty certain my dad was serious about most of that. Pretty yeah. serious about most of that. And that's just the way he was raised and he was doing the best he had. With, with with what he had because he was raised in a home without a good father role as well. And and yeah. to be fair and honest, my dad and I had a great relationship. Yeah, he made his fair share of mistakes and, and so have I. But um but but you know, not to, to sound like I'm bagging on my parents at all here because that's not what it's about. It's just about the fact that 
we were doing the best we could with with what we had, yeah. and they were doing the same thing. But through all that, we were we were more or less told, um, "You act up," and like I, if you've never done a switch dance, I've done the switch dance. And for those of us who have, the, it's not like it's not the mashed potatoes, not the macaroni, it's not <laughs> yeah. whatever. I don't know the new dances, so pardon me if I'm not cool enough to come up with a new dance move to refer to here. <laughs> but, but but one of the things, but the very first pillar and the pillars for success, the pillars for success came before. I was aware of the Harvard uh, University studies, but pillar one is goes way back, and it simply is children think differently from adults. That is absolutely life-changing information when you realize that the, the how an adult perceives things, how an adult responds to things, how an adult processes things is very different than a child. And so we go into, and here, here it says on my summary page, so no wonder adults often ask, what was this child thinking when the kid did or said what he did. And it talks about how understanding this, and we go into it during the training, how understanding this concept just opens pathways that are unbelievable for what can be done to um, communicate in a way that you will be uh, have more positive outcomes with your kids and that they'll feel more empowered to make those positive outcomes happen themselves. Well, let me throw this at you because we, we've learned that in our journeys because nobody was around to explain this to us. So we had to learn this through the school of hard knocks. I've got yeah. a forehead shaped dent in my desk for a reason, um, yeah. you know, but as, as you learn these things and you figure out how to handle kids differently, um, I had an interaction with my youngest and um, he, he doesn't have a diagnosis. I will tell you he's, he would be diagnosed ADHD by, by a professional in a heartbeat if we, if we asked them to. Um, for sure, he's, that's just, he has his own special set of challenges. Um, but I have to deal with him differently. I have to handle his meltdowns and breakouts and, and his craziness differently than, than the other kids because they have different struggles. And I sat in this office one day with him and, and I did all the, you know, the lowering the chair in the soft voice and took him from meltdown to like calm kid and we're good. Got that worked out. All right, dude, knuckles, boom. He turns around and walks out of the room happily. And my oldest son was here that day. And he is, uh, I think he's 23 now. So he was he was probably 22 or, or so when he saw this. And he looks at me and he says to me, and I quote, where the hell was this guy when I was that age? Because right? <laughs> <laughs> he saw a totally different dad. And it's called a learning curve. <laughs> but but a lot of my kids have seen some of this stuff from time to time and seen the different way that we handle different things. And they say things like, well, you're just letting him get away with whatever he wants. You know, the same sort of thing my mom would say sometimes is, you know, well, you're just letting him get away with everything. How do you expect him to, to behave any different if you just let him get away with it? Because that's what it looks like to someone without the knowledge, the education, and the experience. So how do you how do you talk to people and deal with that when they're looking at you like, well, well, you're just trying to let them get away with stuff. That's all you're doing. So when people would ask me a question like that or make an assumption like that, I would say, well, let's take a look at what's going on here. I'm letting the child help arrive at a solution that's acceptable to both of us 
And sometimes I'll even give him choices. Choices is such a simple old time thing that human beings have done since Stone Age. But giving a child two or three choices, it's absolutely unbelievable how empowering that is. And yet you are the one who retains ultimate power because you're the one who's deciding what choices to offer. So, um, but the kid feels tremendously empowered. And let's just assume it's about uh, cleaning your room or helping with the housework or, you know, you'd have to give me a specific situation. But let's say the kid refused or doesn't do it. And I might look at the kid and say, well, let's, let's think about how we can get this organized. So, and I begin to give the kid choices. And I might say, so do you think that you would be able to start it now? Or what time do you think you could start it? Let's agree to a time when you think you could get in there and get the dishwasher emptied and, you know, whatever the specific behaviors are that you're looking for. And then I might ask the kids, so do you want to set some kind of a timer or something on, you know, let's say the kids have phones or whatever. Do you want to set something for yourself or do you want me to set it? And I can let you know when the time is up if you'll be too busy to, you know, pay attention to, to that. Um, and then I might say, would you like some, if, if a kid is being really oppositional uh, repeatedly, I might look at the kid and say, would you like some help doing it? I'd be glad to help for a while, certainly. And I know there's many times when you've helped me when I've asked for it uh, in some small ways. So yeah, absolutely. So I want you to think about those things. And let's start with how are we going to know? So you said you're ready to start in 30 minutes. So how are we going to know when it's time to start in 30 minutes? Do you want me to let you know to remind you? Do you think you can do it? How about, so let's say the kid says, no, I can do it. I'll, I'll set my time, whatever. And I'll know, I'll say, okay. And then I'll set a time or two. And just in case something goes wacky with yours, I'll let you know when the time is up. And then you can decide then how you're feeling. If you want some help doing it, just let me know. Just say, hey, mom, can you come in and um, work with me for a while to get help me get started? And I'll say, sure, absolutely, I can do that. And by the way, sometimes I'll ask you to do that to help me too. Because when we have our chores to get done, it is kind of a lot at, a, you know, at some times in our lives. It feels like a lot. So I just work side by side with them. And um, if they say, no, I won't do it all together, I'll say, well, that's your choice. I don't say, I don't give them a whole list of things like why you're not listening to me, um, why you're refusing to cooperate. I say, well, that's your choice. But just understand then that I'll remind you when it's time. And if you say, no, I'm not doing it. Now, there's several things you can do. One of the things you can do, and I have done this before, is I say, no problem. Let's say it's about cleaning your room. I'll go in and clean your room. And then I might take a box or two in there, not big boxes. And I might put some of the stuff in the box and remove the stuff from the room. And the kid will say, well, where's my, you know, whatever, my remote control car, my this, my that, my other. And I'll say, oh, well, you remember you said you didn't want to help clean. And I tripped over it a couple of times, so I just thought I'd pack it up with the other stuff and get it out of there so you have less to clean up and trip over next time. You know, and I just come right alongside the kid and say, you know, maybe next time you could come in too and you could help decide where to put things so that the room is organized and you have everything in there that you want. 
So you can just kind of, if the kid dips out of it and says, I'm not going to do it and I'm not going to be part of it. To me, it's, you can argue with the kid. You can threaten the kid. You can tell him he's not having dessert that night. But the bottom line is you let him know, well, that's your choice at three o'clock. I'm working on the room. So if you choose, of course, the kid's not going to come anywhere near that because he's already told you he's not going to do it. And that's going to be very important to continue that sense of power. Then I'll do it my way. That's all. And when he gets all upset because the way I chose, I'll, I'll look at him and I'll come alongside him and I'll say, gosh, I am really sorry about that. I wish you would have helped. So would you like to go back in the room with me now? And we can kind of figure that out. Um, and you can decide uh, the things that I moved out where you could put them so that they're in a closet or a drawer so that, you know, it's possible to get the room vacuumed or, you know, just whatever you want to say, but you can come back right back around with the kid. Not like you did it, suck it up too bad. He can even be part of the solution at that point. Yeah. Choices are so important because it gives control. You know, and if everybody wants a sense of control. Absolutely. That you're absolutely right. But having a calm, non-punitive or, or setting it up, your reason for maybe putting the toys away in a box and moving them out wasn't to be punitive with the kid. It's to say, I asked you about doing it. You said you would, or maybe he said right away he wouldn't. So then... I can't read your mind. I don't know how you would have wanted to do it. So I'm just doing it the way that makes sense to me. I hope next time it's time to clean your room. We can partner in that. Or you might even say, mom, I'll take care of it. And then I'll say, well, okay, uh, what time would you like me to come back and check your work? And then I might say, wow, great job. Or, you know, pick out the positive points of it and say, boy, how can we celebrate with that? And I would find, you know, whether it's a special snack we also have a thing in the Pillars for Success called a point sheet. And um, I don't know if you have, uh, there's a printed available through Amazon and other sources. There's the parenting book, Pillars for Success parenting book. Okay. Which is right here. Wow. I've okay. never met a parent. Take a look at that. <laughs> I've never met a parent who is a frustrated, <laughs> upset parent who wants to read a 150 page book on child rearing. The Pillars for Success Parenting book is including my story and everything else and some um, uh, statements from other testimonials from other professionals. The whole thing is 80 pages. It's about the size of a paperback, not much bigger. Yeah. And um, it covers all the pillars. And then there's another, uh, which is the Pillars for Success course workbook. And it takes everything in the in the book and all the concepts in the pillars for success and weaves them into um, weaves them into exercises that there's also um, a lot more uh, explanation of things um, in the training that is within the workbook, but it's a very useful book. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to have to um, pick that up and take a look. Yeah. So I encourage you to take a look at that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because I'm assuming when parents come to you, they're at the end of their rope. They're, they're frustrated. They're, yep. you know, they just, they don't know what to do. So what yep. do you, what do you say to that parent? 
What do I say to that parent? I say, I'm listening. And I know how hard this can get. But yeah, I, I definitely want to take care, take a look at your book, you know, because we are struggling right now. You know, we have a child that we're, we're struggling with, you know, we're, we're doing counseling. We have a probation officer, you know, and, and all sorts of things. So I think your book would be very helpful. And when you say you're doing counseling, you are, um, as the adults or it's a, family thing you with the kid or how? Uh, so right now we have our own therapist for us mm-hmm. um, each of our kids have their own counselor and we are just beginning to start family counseling um, our child that we're having difficulties with he's 16 he gets to make his decisions I can't force it on him uh, but he has finally agreed to start back into counseling and yeah. so I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, that that's a step. It's, it's a big step for him to say that he's willing to go, sure. you know, so everybody has their own individual, but we are beginning to start family. Good. So, yeah. What part of, I don't even know where are you located. We're in Missouri. Yeah, we're in about Missouri. an hour west of St. Louis out here in the woods a little bit. Oh, because if you were an hour away from me, I'd say I'll meet you halfway and let's try it with the kid. <laughs> oh, right. you, you still up in Mass, Massachusetts there? No, um, I'm in uh, Colorado Springs. That's right. Yeah. Colorado. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's more than an hour away. Yeah, yeah we're, we're actually thinking about visiting Colorado this year. So but the other thing, um, and I and if you feel it would be disruptive to your counseling, absolutely don't do it. But if you ever wanted uh just to have a when I say three-way, it would be a four-way because of both of you, but you, me, and the kid, um, and begin to talk about things. I mean, in this day and age, there's nothing that um, replaces the interaction that goes on when people are all together in one room. Uh, but we've all had to learn to um, deal with compromises through this COVID nightmare. Oh, yes, very much so. Of what? what is it now, two plus years? Yeah. So if ever it wouldn't be disruptive to your counseling and you would be interested in ever having a conversation with the four of us, just let me know. I think that would be great. We will probably take you up on that offer. Yeah. That or a bottle of ether. That would help too. <laughs> but <laughs> no. Yeah. Children's Division says that is not allowed. That is not appropriate care. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I think every parent at some point has had that that feeling. Even oh, yeah, we get frustrated. Yeah. Everybody es- does. Especially, you know, that you mentioned earlier that label around a terrible twos and nobody really described that very well to us when we first started this whole kid thing. And you know, it starts around two and it lasts for about two years and it's such a challenge. And then by the time you get through the teenage years, you're like, oh my gosh, I missed the twos. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. He was just little then. Now he's bigger than I am. You know, yeah. he just used to squawk then. Now he's swearing at me and throwing things, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Punching holes in the walls. And, and yeah. the thing is, is we, you know, we have a lot of kids who come through tra- from trauma places and, you know, they'd mentioned that to us, you know, they, they were beginning to, to see trauma as a thing, yeah. but that was the extent of what they really knew when we first got into fostering and understanding that the trauma is a big deal and we need to treat it as such. And well, it, it requires a different approach. Well, and the thing is, is, you know, we're talking foster care. So yeah, there, there's trauma, but the thing is, is people are really starting to realize that everyone has trauma. So everyone this is what, trauma. 
And I, I, that's where I was heading. Please don't get over, what's the word, overstimulated by some of these highly, um, these words that have high point value, like trauma. I mean, we all have it. As I said, the kids who came to my home were, were off the charts unbelievable. One of them, by the way, is now the director of an agency who works uh, with children in foster care. Some of the kids that I had also had developmental issues. So the, uh, a career like that would have been beyond their um, intellectual capacity. But this kid was very, very bright. And he's now um, part of an agency moving forward. So don't, don't ever um, minimize the significance of it. Don't ever over accentuate the significance of it. You, all the trauma does is disrupt the basic needs of the child, most definitely, and brings him to a place where not only are the needs lopsided and very excessive and very frustrating because he can't get them met, but he also has so many um, secretive ways of getting, again, this power, sense of power and control in his life because the trauma did not allow that to develop. And so the, the survival and all of that is incredibly important. And you want to stay focused, not so much on being overwhelmed by what he's been through as being empowered by understanding what he's been through and how you can help him learn to compensate for that. If that makes sense, I would look at it and I understand what the behaviors are. I have had them in my home. I know all about it. Um, and I lived with them when I was very young with my brother. So I'm not saying, I'm saying that you can minimize all of that if you will, you know, so take a look at the workbook. When you get a chance, take a look at the parenting book. And it asks you to completely take off these glasses and put on a whole new set of lenses as you're looking at everything that has to do with their behavior, their challenges, um, how that's affecting you how the two of you are affecting one another and, and based on all of that to say, how can we find some balance together? And let's, let's figure it out. Cause every time you do this, I'm not sure how to help you. And then we both get frustrated because that behavior is not acceptable to me. So what can we do next time? How can we figure this out? So, and especially a kid who's that old, what would you say, Bobby, next time you do whatever it is that you feel is not acceptable, what could you do differently that I could say, let's have, a, let's work, let's figure out a solution. What's going on with you at that point? Cause I don't understand it. All I do is see the behavior. And you know, when you throw your backpack across the room and knock a chair over, that's not okay. I mean, I don't know what it is. I just made something up. So you begin to come alongside the kid and kind of figure out with him what can make this work. And then again, once you get the book and the workbook, take a look at the, um, I, you can go online. I don't know if you've been to the website, but I believe you can see the point sheets online, pillar, www.pillarsforsuccess, F-O-R, forsuccess.com. And um, take a look at some of the tools that are offered there. And um, But one of them is a point sheet. So, I mean, at the end of the day, 
if a person has a job and they go to their employer uh, and at the end of two weeks, they've missed uh, eight out of the 10 days of work and uh, say they like a bonus. I mean, that doesn't make sense, you know? So we're trying to, so, but the other thing is that we all work very well with concrete responses to our behavior. So if we're doing exceptionally well, we get maybe a raise, we get, you know, praise, we get something. So the point sheet, parents can uh, organize it any way they want, but what they do is, and they do it with the kid, they empower the kid to, so what are some of the things you need to work on? What are some of the behaviors? You don't want him to be polite. I don't know how to measure polite. What are the behaviors that would tell you that that kid is polite? If he says, okay, I'm listening. So whenever I talk to you, would you finish that with, okay, I'm listening. So on the point, it would be when mom talks to me, I will, I will respond with, I'm listening. And you mark down the behaviors you would like the child to do and the behaviors that he's willing to work on. And then you reward them for that. So in this day and age, everybody hasn't got those pennies, nickels, dimes, whatever. Uh, but that was, you know, how the kids used to earn money in my house. They didn't get an allowance for breathing and they could earn some very nice money. And even the kid who I just told you about, I'm seeing the kid and his mother. I have literally mailed this kid money for and he's got a point sheet because she's um, very strapped financially i mail the money the the rewards for the point sheet to him and uh that's how we do it that's a great idea plus you know in today's <laughs> world technology is such that you know a paypal account venmo or a cash app like like you can put money on a on a card for a kid really nice and easy in a way they can handle it and use that as i like the idea that we're not trying to um we're not trying to just give you money because you breathe. Like there, there's a reason for this, and then that's a, that's an, a reward system that most kids that I know appreciate. When it comes yeah. down to the end of the day, is kids all understand what money is for pretty quick, you know? Yeah, but the but the reason is, but the other thing is, you have to be um, you have to be consistent with it. You have to, um, you know, if the kid gets upset because this, that, and the other. Uh, the other thing about the point sheet is I always required that it was before bedtime at the end of each day, we reviewed those point sheets because who can remember a day later? No, it's got to be that day. And that's part of the agreement in the point sheet. The other is you have to be sure to list behaviors, not attitudes, not um, um feelings, but behaviors, because you can't measure attitudes and feelings. You can measure how they're reflected in specific behaviors, you know, instead of just uh, grabbing extra desserts, maybe that's what your kid does is goes in and eats all the Oreo cookies up. So this would be that, uh, you know, Johnny will ask me, can he have two cookies? And I will be the one to give it to, you know, whatever, you don't want to make them real wordy. You'll look at the point sheets to see. The sample ones, I think they're online, but they're definitely um, covered in the book and the workbook. Excellent. Yeah. And on our website, you know, for all the listeners, we do have a, uh, a tab at the top of the page that has all the book resources that we, that we have on here. You know, I'm, I'll be certain to put a link there. Um, I'm assuming that's all easily findable on Amazon. Yes. 
All right. Well, to be fully EU compliant, there is a uh, there, there's some affiliate links on there with some of the books, but it doesn't change anything in the way anybody's trying to buy something. So if you click on it, I will get a few cents there um, if you buy a book through that link. But um, you know, we we put it all up there so that people can find it, and I will definitely make sure that that's there, and it'll also be linked in the show notes so everyone can find it. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> that way, you know, that resource can be something that, that that people can use because God knows we need all the resources we can get, especially for the parents who first walk into this this whole journey with, without an expectation and knowledge of what they're going to be facing. Um, yeah. So just having some of that is, is super helpful. Well, and the other thing is, if you ever decided you wanted to offer this course through your website, I mean, parents would pay a tuition. Um, we'd figure it out, but, uh, as much as I think in person is much more powerful than electronic, uh, electronic for people, you know, unless you're going to fly them in every week for class, uh, you know, that's probably not going to work out anyway. So I'm learning to, you know, absorb the electronic communication style. Absolutely. Because there is a lot of electronic stuff out there available now. Exactly. But there's no substitute for human interaction that occurs. Oh, I agree 100%. Yeah, yeah. there's there's a, there's a lot of value in that FaceTime, actual FaceTime. Yeah. And, but but in this world where, where you know, if we want to talk about one of the greatest generational traumas that we've all start, you know dealt with, COVID has had its challenges. It's also oh brought some of this stuff so very easy to access for the average human. Yes. Uh, I've seen people, I have a, a friend of mine who runs a podcast about fatherhood and um, it's actually, he doesn't just run a podcast. He, I don't know if it's still there or not, but he was at like number one on Apple in the parenting section. He was, oh, wow. he was oh yeah, he, a wildly successful podcast for sure. And some of the people he's been able to, to, to reach out and interview because of what we've dealt with has yeah. been amazing. He's watched quite a, he, he interviewed Matthew McConaughey here just a little. Oh, wow. Back. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, and he's just a dude from the middle of Missouri like me, used to sell medical devices. Well, get us out there, bro. Right? <laughs> Set it up. I'll do it with you. Well, good deal. Yeah, we'll, we'll I'll definitely. I'll put you through it first so you and I are on the same page. And you can still ask your questions and, and pose your challenges. Because if you're thinking them and wondering, so are the other people, some of them anyway, who are listening. So, oh, Yeah. Uh, that's one of the things I've learned is whatever question you have in those settings, there's always somebody with the same questions that they're, they're that's just right. afraid to ask it. And the same and, doubts and the same, all of it. Yep. Fortunately for me, I have been able to, um, I've been able to be willing to ask dumb questions and embarrass myself in front of people. I don't really care that much. And yeah. so I'm willing to do that and, so that other people can, can hear what I have to say. Yeah. Just, Sandy, I appreciate you helping us out today and telling us your story and and all the the stuff that that you've been through and how you've helped parents. Uh, what's the best way for people to be able to reach you? I think if they go to the website, um, all the contact information is right on the website, so they should be able to uh, reach me that way. Excellent. We'll make sure that that's also in the show notes so people can reach down and uh, and in your podcast player and just take a look at it. Um, I'll mention it again because Apple does not answer my emails. They don't answer the phone when I call. Uh, Apple Podcasts, for whatever reason, I know we have a lot of you listeners out there listening on Apple devices. For whatever reason, the links don't always work in the Apple show notes section 
and I can't figure it out. So you can copy and paste it into a browser, or if you go to fostercarenation.com, um, the show notes are all there, and all of those links will be active and do work. So uh, that way we know that if somebody needs to get a hold of you, they have an easy way to figure that out. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate your time today. It's been great having a chance to talk to you and, and just learn from you. So thank you so very much. It's been my pleasure. And I will send you, I'll take a look on the website and I will also send you that URL for uh, people who want to be in touch. And uh, you, if you would include that in your um, summary, that would be great. I'll get that to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. It's been a pleasure, both of you. Okay. Foster Care Nation. Thanks for listening to Sandy's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at Jason at fostercarenation.com. You can also connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have a Patreon account where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything are in the show notes on your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And... As always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled <laughs> Studios. Studios. <laughs>